Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Today we are on the eve of a great feast, a great feast that is shared by both lungs of the church, east and west. But also, this is the final hours of our Prairie Fest, and if you're listening to this program on Sunday, August 14th, you can still come and get in on our Prairie Fest. In fact, today is Polka Day. Come on down and polka. Enjoy some of our ethnic foods. Yeah, American foods too. All kinds of fun things for the family. Today, August 14th, the last day of our Prairie Fest. You can still get in on it. We are here to about six o'clock today. But today is the eve, as I mentioned, of a marvelous feast day. The feast of the Dormition of the Mother of God. This is what we call it in the Eastern churches. In the West, they call it the Assumption. And it's interesting because there's two different names, but again, as always, there is a crossover, a similarity, a shared reality to these feast days between East and West, and yet at the same time, some nuanced differences. The question is, how significant are those differences? The differences between the way the West approaches the Assumption of the Mother of God and the way that the East does, is primarily this. In the West, there is the emphasis that the Virgin Mary assumed body and soul into heaven. Now, in the East, we say the same thing, but the East does believe that she did die, but not in the same way that we would die. In other words, that separation of body and spirit. The East would say that she just didn't suddenly assume altogether, but that she did eventually go into heaven, body and soul intact. See, that's the meaning point between the East and the West in the theology of and significance of this feast, of this event. So there is obviously a convergence point. We do believe the same thing, of course, fundamentally. But as always, there is a difference in emphasis. And this is fine. This is okay. It doesn't mean a difference in belief. It means a difference in emphasis or a difference in the way you express that. Whether she died in this special way or whether she just assumed and did not die as we understand it, the result is the same. Both East and West converge at the point where 
We believe that the mother of God, the Virgin Mary, because she was spared from sin, she eventually went body and soul into heaven, her body and soul intact. And this is very significant. This meaning point is very significant because in the Virgin Mary, as in Jesus Christ, we see in the both of them the origins and the destiny of the human person. Not only do we see their holiness and, of course, Christ's divinity, but in the events of his life and in the feast days that the church celebrates, we see in Christ not only his divinity, but his humanity and our humanity, its origins and its destiny. And we see the same thing in the Virgin Mary, because the two of them are the new Adam and the new Eve. So you're really looking at the human race as it was meant to be. A lot of times we find this foreign or strange, but that's because we live in the time, as St. John Paul II would call it, of historical man. There's original man, historical man, and eschatological man. In other words, basically three phases in the history of mankind. And John Paul II came up with those three names or those histories. Original is how, of course, we were before sin, the way Adam and Eve were when they walked around the Garden of Eden, happily in communion and and in harmony with each other, with all creation, with God, and so on. Historical means the history since that time, since the fall, since the sin. And that's what we know. That is what seems to be most real to us. Beyond that, then, is the third phase, and that is eschatological man. In other words, how we will be in the end, in eternity. Original man and eschatological man are actually very close. The odd part is the part that we think is reality. We define reality oftentimes by its harder side, its tougher side. You know, getting sick, accidents, we have to work for a living, got to work hard, Lots of drudgery in life, lots of boredom, lots of injury, death, sickness. We sometimes call that reality. But that is not reality. This historical man period that we live in was not meant to be like this. It only is because of sin. It was meant to be more like our origins and our destiny, meaning glorious and intact, body and soul intact. So when the Virgin Mary enters into heaven with her body and soul together intact, she is entering into heaven the way we were originally intended to enter heaven. We were not intended to die and have our bodies, at least die in the way that we understand it, and have our bodies go into the earth and decay while our souls go on to the next life, and then we have to await the general resurrection when our bodies will be reunited with our souls. That was never meant to be. That's not the plan. But because of Christ's redemption, because he came to earth and he took on our sinful fallen body, our fallen nature, he took on all that we are. He did not commit sin, but he took on the effects of our sinfulness because he suffered and died. He took all that on and he redeemed that. So now we have a chance for this eschatological destiny, which, as I mentioned, is closer than our reality to what was the original reality. So it's, it's something like bookends. Think of it as bookends. And in between the pages of the bookends, uh, in between the, the bookends are the pages that we live in what is called historical man now with all of its woes. And yes, there's a lot of glory too, of course, but there's a lot of woes and that was never meant to be. So this feast day is very significant because it focuses our gaze upon a very positive and hopeful view, a vision of how we will be, how we were meant to be and how we will be in heaven. 
The Virgin Mary experiences it because she was without sin. So she did not have to have her body and soul split apart and disintegrated as we do. This is why we don't want death. We don't like death, and we shouldn't. Yes, our faith teaches us that death is a passage to the next life, but still, there is an aspect of it that we do find frightening and repulsive, and we should, because it's not normal. Death is not normal, not normal to God's plan, God's intention for us. The Virgin Mary was normal, meaning she was truly a human being as God intended human beings to be, as God intended Eve to be before she sinned. And Christ is that Adam that God intended mankind to be. So man and woman both have their models in Christ and the Virgin Mary, their models of how we were meant to be and how we will be. In between, we walk this way of woe. Although, as I mentioned, it's not entirely woe, of course. It can't be because Christ incarnated himself among us and within us. So this feast day is a beautiful feast day shared by both East and West, although they call it differently, although, although they use different terms for it and have slightly different nuances in the end, we arrive as always at the same point and a significant point. In the Eastern churches, one of the things we do is we have a custom of bringing herbs and flowers, plants to church and blessing them. A couple of reasons for this. One is it's the harvest time. And as Pope Francis said in his document, Laudate Si, the document about nature and about having a sacramental worldview, so it is in the Eastern churches during these feast days. We extend what is happening in liturgy in the church to the environment. We bless the environment. We see it liturgically, sacramentally. So we actually bring flowers and herbs, fruits of the harvest. You know, August is harvest time. The fruits of the harvest are brought to the church and offered to God and blessed and acknowledged for their connectedness with God, with God's glory, and because they're beautiful. And they're also medicinal. Yes, herbs and flowers are actually medicinal. The second reason we bring them to the church to bless on the Feast of the Dormition, or in other words, the Assumption, is because of a story about the Assumption itself, about the Dormition. The apostles came to see the Virgin Mary, and this time Thomas was with them. As usual, he was not with them a week earlier when the Mother of God passed away. The apostles carried her body, so the story goes, they carried her body to the tomb. But when they returned to the tomb, and this time with Thomas, There was no body there, just like with Christ. Her body had reunited with her soul in heaven. There was only the smell of fragrance, the fragrance of flowers. And so in commemoration of that story, which is a traditional story, it's of course not in Scripture, it certainly would be consistent with Scripture because it has to do with our ultimate destiny. So the Virgin Mary assumes that ultimate destiny by not being in the tomb, her body and soul reunited, and leaving behind the sweet fragrance of flowers for the apostles to see and to witness. So there's a couple of reasons why we bring flowers to church. A lot of times we'll keep a flower, we'll take a flower and dry it out, flatten it out, and a lot of people keep it in their Bibles. So it's again, it's a way of, of extending what happens in liturgy into our lives and of bringing nature, the environment, into liturgy. So you see how integrated the spirituality is of the church, both East and West. In particular, for this feast, we're referring to the Eastern churches with their custom of the flowers, the blessing of the flowers. But you have to notice, and it's important to notice, 
the key word here is integration, because we live in a very disintegrated world. The world does not connect dots together. It does not connect the dots of creation of life to God. The church does, east and west. And that's the genius, the beauty of the church, the necessity of the church in our lives to help us connect the dots of life, nature and God and goodness and love and truth and being human, marriage, family, everything is integrated. And it is so, especially in the liturgical life of the church. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what the East and West shares together. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. In Homer Glen, Illinois, lies an award-winning 10-acre restored prairie which surrounds Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church. The prairie brings peace and tranquility to the surrounding neighborhood and where the children can play, find nature, and experience the meaning of serenity just beyond their backyard. We celebrate the prairie with all the things it brings, Friday through Saturday, August 12th through the 14th. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to the best-ever Prairie Fest. During these three days, you can enjoy great bands like Sixteen Candles, Infinity, Nick Lynch, and Polka with Polka Generations. Also at Prairie Fest, see the Brazilian dancers, the Elite Dance Academy, and the Polish Highland dancers. There will be ethnic and festival food with a beer garden, raffles, children's games, prairie and church tours, plus a grand cash raffle with over $12,000 in total prizes. You can even learn how to paint a picture of the prairie from master artist father Thomas Lawyer while sipping some wine in the Wine Art Studio. Prairie Fest. Friday through Saturday, August 12th through the 14th. Prairie Fest at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details, visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Again, I welcome you to our Prairie Fest the last several hours. It's still a lot of fun. You can get in on it. If you're listening to this program, just drive on over to Annunciation Church in Homer Glen and polka all afternoon and enjoy lots of food, great atmosphere. we got a few more hours to go, and our Prairie Fest for 2016 will be concluded. And we thank you for all of your support and attendance at our Prairie Fest. It's an important event for our church as once again we see this integration. We see this living in the both and. For Annunciation Parish, our Prairie Fest is one of our biggest annual events and it carries with it, it carries with it always those two dimensions. Yes, we are trying to raise money. It's a fundraiser, as all churches need to do. But also, it is an instrument of evangelization. We open our doors and therefore our hearts to the world, especially to our neighbors, our neighborhood, our surrounding communities. And we share our riches with them, as I'm doing on this program each week. We share our riches, who we are, with them. And we invite them into our house. They're always welcome, but in a special way, we 
provide a wonderful party for them with food and music, tours of the church, the prairie, and so on. The idea, though, is always is it's something evangelical, something that shows forth, that gives a witness, while at the same time it may have the practical dimension of being a fundraiser. But everything a parish does, everything we do as Christians, should always have that evangelical dimension, no matter what it is we're doing, whether we're just doing our job, working for a living, trying to take home a paycheck and survive. It's never just that. In every moment, we are being evangelical. We are witnessing to the presence of God through whatever it is we're doing, especially if we see it with that sacramental liturgical vision, that worldview. And it is the church, it's liturgy that gives us that vision. That's why it's so essential to come to church. A lot of times people ask me, well, Father Tom, how come we can't just pray to God in our rooms, stay at home. I can pray at home. I can pray anywhere, and I do pray. My answer to that is, well, good. Yes, you can pray in your room. You should pray in your room and in your car or at work or everywhere. In fact, the Scripture teaches us, and the great saints always reminded us, pray unceasingly. Pray all the time. Actually, become prayer. Yeah, not just pray, but become prayer. That's how much we're supposed to be praying. Remember, that's the one thing that distinguishes us above everything else from all other creatures on earth. The human being prays. He offers his heart and the world to God in prayer and thanksgiving. But coming to church and the purpose of church is not just to pray, or it's a kind of prayer that we're talking about. Coming to church and immersing ourselves in the liturgy of the church, whether it's East or West, Latin Rite or the Eastern Rites, Coming to church and participating in the liturgy, especially the Eucharistic liturgy of both lungs of the church, east or west, immerses us in things that we cannot get elsewhere in any other way. One of those things is what we're talking about today, this feast day, actually entering into the event of the assumption or dormition, the going into heaven, body and soul, together intact, of the Virgin Mary. The liturgy of the church immerses us in that event actually is happening today. That's why we use the word today a lot in our prayers. The liturgy takes us beyond time into a timelessness where we connect eternity with this world. And so to enter into the feast day, to come to church and take part in the traditions of a feast day like this one, the Assumption or Dormition of the Mother of God, is to actually enter into that event and all that it means. And to enter into it is good for us. We need it. It's there for us because we need to be immersed in this. The second thing we get at church that we don't get anywhere else, especially through the liturgy and the Eucharist, is just that, an intimate immersion or union with God. You can't get that praying at home. Certainly you get a certain connectedness with God through prayer. That's what prayer does. Prayer is dialogue. It's like when we talk to someone. We talk and we listen. We're connecting with them. We're present to them. They are present to us. Yes, that's what prayer is. But in liturgy, we go into a form of prayer that is unitive, intimate. We actually become God, not equal to him, but we partake of his very nature through the Eucharist. We become one with God in a most intimate way and at the same time with the community, the worshiping community, and our friends and relatives, whether deceased or living. That's right, whether deceased or living. We unite with them in a way that we cannot unite with them staying at home, just praying privately in our room or a car or whatever. Again, it's good to pray wherever and whenever. 
But when it comes to church, there are several things that can only happen there that are special and they are necessary for us. They're good for us. The other thing that happens is we come to church to thank God. In other words, to do the only honest thing that we can possibly do. If we're going to church, for instance, on Sunday, one day a week, what we should be doing is thinking of all of the gifts and the blessings God gave us throughout the week, and even our sorrows, our pains, our confusions, and we're bringing all that to him, offering it up to him in the Eucharist, letting him sanctify that, and thanking him for all the goodness that he has shown us during the week, in fact, during our whole life. I mean, if nothing else, we come to church to say thank you. That's why Eucharist is the source and summit of our existence, and the word means a thanksgiving. So gratitude, thankfulness, is the one thing, along with forgiveness and prayer, that distinguishes us as human beings. So when we're in church, we're actually the most human, not when we're sinning or making mistakes, as we often define ourselves in that way. We say, well, gee, what do you expect? I'm only human. We are most human when we are at liturgy, at Eucharist, doing the one thing that only human creatures can do and doing the one thing that is honest. If we think of all that God has done and who God is, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how bad we think it is, there's only one response to God, one adequate response, praise and thanksgiving. Just by the fact that we live, you know, Pope Francis, in calling this year to be a year of mercy, said that God's name, God himself, is synonymous with mercy just by the fact that he created us. That was an act of mercy, just bringing us into being. He didn't have to do that. Sometimes, maybe he probably wonders, like, gee, why did I do that? <laughs> At least putting a human face on God, I would say that. God wouldn't say that, but sometimes you wonder. Because of all that we've done that has been out of ingratitude towards God. We are nothing compared to God. Nothing. He makes us who and what we are. Only by his mercy do we live. Only by his mercy can we be saved. Only by his mercy do we do anything. So God is synonymous with mercy. And because of that, the only honest response has to be our deepest and ever-present sense of gratitude, which comes to its most perfect expression on earth in the liturgy. This is why church is important, whether east or west. And the liturgy is that venue that immerses us in these incredible, incredible and necessary experiences. Our union with God, union with one another, union with those who have gone before us and those who are present now with us, and our experience of the particular event or feast day, experience of that particular person. In this case, this weekend, of course, it's the mother of God. There are so many things that are really extraordinary, very, very special about our experience of church, especially in the liturgy. And again, this is shared by both East and West. One of the many convergence points between us, 
The other thing that happens during liturgy, and when I say during liturgy, I'm talking about primarily primarily the Eucharist, you know, the high point, the highest point of our prayer and worship. But when I say liturgy, y'all, when I say liturgy, I when I say liturgy and prayer, I also mean the entire prayer of the church, the divine office, especially anything that is prayed at church or in church itself. Well, the other thing that happens through the prayer of the church, especially in the Eucharist, is our transformation. In the Byzantine liturgy, during the Latin rite might know as the Eucharistic prayer, we call it the anaphora. There's a point when the priest asks the Holy Spirit to come down upon the gifts and change them into the body and blood of Christ. And what he does is he actually asks for ourselves to be changed, and then the gifts Because the purpose of the gifts being changed into the body of Christ, into that presence of the Trinity, is so that we will be changed. We will be transformed, touched by God, imbued with the very presence of God. We are no longer the same. We become, first of all, living tabernacles. And we transform into something holy and special, something closer to what I spoke about earlier, original man or eschatological man, our real selves. And we go forth from the liturgy, having been transformed, so that we have the the grace, the uncreated energies, as we say in the Eastern churches, to transform the world. So we're transformed, and in turn, we go and transform the world, starting with the world around us, the most immediate persons around us, mostly our families. And then we move out from there to transform the world. We can't save the world. Only God can save the world. But we can transform the world into the image and likeness of God. We can make the kingdom of God present on earth, as the Lord's Prayer says. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the significance of the feast days of the church and of its liturgy. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab. And on iTunes, Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.